I never thought I'd live to see a day where senators would vote against forming a commission. The lead starts right now. Even the mother of a Capitol Hill police officer who died after the January 6th insurrection has been unable to change the hearts and minds of Republican senators after they got calls from Mitch McConnell telling them to bend to Trump's will. Plus, the Republican divide on further display. Two of Trump's most loyal acolytes are joining forces on stage tonight as former Republican House Speaker Paul Ryan heads to the Reagan Library and prepares to tell his party it's time to cut and run from Trump. And missed signals, we're just learning. The killer has previously been questioned by federal law enforcement about his hatred of the workplace in San Jose. So what, if anything, was done about it? Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with our politics lead. And at any moment, a key Senate vote is all but guaranteed to fail, ending any hopes of a bipartisan commission to investigate the Capitol insurrection to make sure such a dark day does not repeat itself. CNN has learned that Senate Republicans are very confident they will defeat the vote today, despite many of those very same senators calling for this exact type of investigation in the days and weeks after the deadly riot. Since then, of course, Republicans have largely changed their tune in fear of angering Trump, whose support they feel they need to recapture control of the House and Senate. They are in voting against the creation of the commission, breaking with decades of precedent and refusing to support a bipartisan investigation into a very serious national security threat. National security experts, after all, warned that January 6th may not be a one-off, that the Trumpian undertow pulling Republican officials towards refusing to respect the democratic process is tragically strong. Nonetheless, sources say Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has been calling and lobbying his Republican colleagues, asking them to do him a, quote, personal favor and vote no on this bill against a bipartisan commission, against a bill negotiated by Democrats and Republicans, against a commission to be run by Democrats and Republicans to figure out what went wrong. Cautioned Republican Senator Mitt Romney, who we're told will vote for the formation of the commission, quote, I think the perception is on the part of the public that the January 6th commission just trying to get to the truth of what happened and that Republicans would be seen as not wanting to let the truth come out, unquote. CNN's Ryan Noble starts our coverage today from Capitol Hill. After weeks of confrontation and finger pointing, it is time for senators to make a final decision on the fate of the January 6th commission. And despite the concessions, pleas, and bipartisan support, the measure never had a chance. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who announced his opposition to the bill shortly after it passed the House, lobbying his colleagues right up to the vote that the process was too political. I think the basic goal of our Democratic friends is to keep relitigating in public what happened back on January 6th rather than getting to a quick solution through arrests of those who did it and security adjustments to make sure it never happens again. Even though Democrats gave Republicans everything they wanted, including an even split of Republicans and Democratic appointees, giving both parties equal subpoena power and requiring their work to be complete before the end of the year. The truth of the matter seems to be that Senate Republicans oppose the commission because they fear that it might upset Donald Trump and their party's midterm messaging. 
The GOP position so entrenched that even a plea from the mother of a fallen officer who was on the front lines of the insurrection was not enough to change their minds. What are you hoping will be on their minds when they vote on this commission? The country. They're supposed to uphold the Constitution, and right now I don't think they're doing it. One Republican, Maine's Susan Collins, who met with the officer's family, made a last-ditch effort to make tweaks to the bill, hoping to convince her colleagues to vote yes. We owe it to the brave men and women who defended our lives that day, and in some cases did so at the cost of their lives. And that's why I feel so strongly about that. But it is not just Republicans unwilling to budge to make this commission happen. Democrats have the option of blowing up the filibuster to pass the bill with a simple majority. But West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who is pleading with Republicans to vote yes, still believes ending the filibuster could lead to long-term problems. I'm not ready to destroy our government. I'm not ready to destroy my government, no. All this against the backdrop of a federal judge warning in a decision this week that former President Trump continuing to peddle the big lie about the 2020 election results could inspire more violence from his supporters. And President Biden was asked about the status of the 1-6 commission after his event in Cleveland today. And he said, quote, I can't imagine anyone voting against establishing a commission on the greatest assault uh, since the Civil War on the Capitol. But later today, it looks as though there will not be enough Republican votes to move this bill forward, Jake, effectively killing it. Remarkable. Ryan Nobles on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much. Let's bring in CNN's Jamie Gangel, who has new reporting on Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's backroom lobbying. Uh, Jamie, you cover the Republicans on the Hill all the time. How unusual is this impassioned effort by Mitch McConnell? I don't think it's unusual for a leader to whip, to try to get votes. I think what was unusual is the last 24 hours. It was not a surprise that Mitch McConnell wanted this to go away. But 24 hours ago, I'm told by two Republican sources, he got nervous. And so he went to senators, Republicans, that I think he thought might be wavering. And he asked them for something you don't normally hear. He asked them for, quote, a personal favor to vote against the commission. This despite the fact that Senator Susan Collins had come up with a compromise to tweak the legislation, which supposedly would satisfy all his concerns He does not want this commission, no matter what you give him. Because? Because I think at the end of the day, whether he's right or whether he's wrong, he cares, much like Kevin McCarthy, about one thing, and that is taking back control of the Senate. And he believes that this commission apparently would make Republicans look bad instead of maybe just making Donald Trump and his followers look bad. And so he thinks it will hurt them in taking back the Senate and making him majority leader again. And John King reported earlier that they think it's because that that McConnell thinks that it would help. It would hurt him, his ability to take back the Senate because it would so anger Donald Trump that Donald Trump would then do everything he could to hurt Republicans. Is that I mean, is that the actual computation here? Look, we've seen this with Kevin McCarthy after January 6th. Both Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell came out, made public statements, 
blame Donald Trump, said he was responsible, and then they go running back again. I mean, they think that they're going to satisfy him. He's he's insatiable. You can't satisfy Donald it, Trump. It hasn't worked thus far. All right, Jamie Gangel, thanks so much. Sure. Let's, let's talk about this with a senator, a Democratic senator, Alex Padilla of California, specifically. Senator, um, thanks so much for joining us. The, the vote seems pretty much guaranteed to fail at this point. Democrats do not have 10 Republican allies who are going to vote to, to create this commission. So I guess the question is, what comes next? Should Speaker Pelosi launch a select committee uh, that is run by Democrats instead of a, a more bipartisan effort. So, uh, well, first, Jake, let me say uh, this is absolutely outrageous uh, that uh, they're going to choose loyalty to Trump over loyalty to the oath of office and to defend the Constitution against, you know, all enemies, foreign and domestic. It's outrageous, in particular the timing. We're getting ready to celebrate Memorial Day when we honor those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our nation and our democracy. That's really the, the travesty here, too. You know, if, if uh, the commission is not created, by the way, a bipartisan commission based on the bipartisan 9-11 commission, if Republicans can't bring themselves to support that, we still have to find the answers. And so uh, there's, there's piecemeal investigations going on in, in existing committees. Uh, I think a select committee would certainly be in order uh, to, to not uh, conduct an investigation like has been proposed is like suggesting that uh, all we needed to do after 9-11 was improve airport security. We know that the causes are much deeper than that. You're in favor of eliminating the Senate filibuster in order to pass this commission and, and uh, achieve other legislation. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, uh, obviously the key swing vote on this, he's been very clear he opposes uh, getting rid of the filibuster, even today. Take a listen. I'm not ready to destroy our government. I'm not ready to destroy our government. No, I think the nation will come together. You have to have faith. There's 10 good people. What do you think? Yeah, look, uh, I like to believe there's 10 good people uh, on the other side of the aisle, too. But are there 10 people who were willing to do the right thing on the floor of the Senate? That's the question. Uh, and if there's not, then the question is going to come back to Democrats. Are we going to uh, let the filibuster get in the way, not just of creating this uh, commission to investigate the insurrection, but all the other things that we know are urgently needed to improve the country, uh, investing in our infrastructure, criminal justice reform, immigration reform, uh, battle climate change and so much more. The filibuster has been used to obstruct for far too long. Um, there was just a mass shooting in San Jose in your home state, the state you represent. I know you're, you're in favor of further gun restrictions, uh, restrictions on gun ownership. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Wall Street Journal story that says that this individual, the suspect, um, had actually been questioned uh, by the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, have you seen the story? Uh, I've seen the headline, have not read the entire story, uh, but yet again, you know, it's one thing for one state to have strong uh, gun safety laws, but unless we have na a national uh, policy, uh, we're going to continue to find these loopholes and these red flags having been detained uh, previously, whether it's anger management issues, substance issues, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, it should remind us of the urgency, with or without a filibuster, to advance on background checks and, uh, you know, other common sense reforms. Well, I guess the question is, so often these things happen, these horrific things happen, and, you know, we saw it happen in Indiana, we saw it happen in Connecticut, it happens all the time. Law enforcement is aware of these individuals, and then they don't do anything. They don't, they don't take the step to make sure that they can't get guns, they don't keep tabs, uh, and, and there, are, there are ways to prevent these shoot, shootings b right. besides just more laws. Right, no, I hear you, but... It, it 
I, I disagree. They, they, so they're aware of this to be able to take those next steps. We do need the laws, whether it's you know, the required background checks or the cooling off period uh, or the limitation on the type of weapons uh, somebody can purchase. You have progressive states like California doing the right thing, but we need the consistency of strong common sense gun safety laws uh, nationwide. And that's where, again, Congress has failed to act because of the filibuster. Let me ask you another question about something that happened in California. Last week in California and Los Angeles, there were anti-Semitic attacks uh, against Jewish Americans from pro-Palestinian demonstrators. We've heard some Jewish groups uh, say that they think progressives and Democratic leaders have been way too quiet in specifically condemning anti-Semitic words and attacks in the United States in the last week. Why do you think that is? Yeah, uh, look, I know it's a very tense times for our friends in the, uh, the Jewish community for everything that's been going on for several weeks now. Hate has no place, not in Los Angeles, not in California, not across the country, whether it's uh, hate driven by anti-Semitic sentiment. Uh, we've seen the rise in uh, uh, hate crimes attacking the uh, AAPI community during the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. Look, any uh, member of a community of color uh, knows all too well uh, the, the hate and the crime that's driven by hate that needs to be addressed. It's one of the reasons why I was uh, pleased to see it become a priority uh, for Merrick Garland, our new attorney general, significant change from the prior administration and couldn't come uh, uh, soon enough. Democratic Senator Alex Padilla, California, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. The vote on the January 6th commission could happen soon. We're going to bring it to you live when it does happen. Plus, breaking this hour, new reporting about the San Jose gunman and potentially missed red flags. He was detained in 2016. He had books about terrorism. He had notes about how much he hated his workplace, the same place where he just killed nine of his co-workers. Stay with us. International lead, nine families in California are mourning the losses of their loved ones after a transit worker opened fire at their workplace yesterday. Mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, just the latest victims of gun violence in America. We want to take a moment to remember them now. Abdul Bahab Alamandan was 63 years old. Adrian Bayeza was 29. Alex Fritch was 49. Jose Hernandez III was 35. Lars Lane, 63. Michael Rudometkin was 40. Paul Meija was 42. Timothy Romo was 49. Tepjeep Singh was 36. Also breaking this afternoon, the Wall Street Journal reporting that federal law enforcement officials knew that the shooter hated his workplace because in 2016, five years ago, the shooter was detained by Customs and Border Patrol after a trip to the Philippines. And the shooter at that time had books with him about terrorism and a memo book filled with notes about, quote, how he hates the VTA, unquote. The VTA is the Valley Transportation Authority. That's where the shooting happened. CNN's Dan Simon joins us live now. Dan, what else do we know about this new reporting? Well, hi, Jake. Uh, What we know is that apparently he had a documented history about his hate towards the VTA, which, of course, is where he worked. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Department of Homeland Security circulated a memo after Wednesday's shooting that talked about this trip in 2016 when he went to the Philippines. And when he returned to the U.S., he was detained by U.S. Customs officers. And those officers discovered books in his possession about terrorism, about fear, about manifestos. And he also had a black memo book 
that talked about his hate towards the VTA. Those officers asked him if he had a problem with anybody at work, and his answer was no. Now, we reached out to DHS about this. Uh, at this point, they're not commenting. Uh, in the meantime, Jake, investigators are still processing both scenes here as well as at his house. Whatever your emotions, the pain, sorrow, anger, love, questions, these are all normal. A tearful update from the head of the Valley Transportation Authority in San Jose. Nine VTA employees aged 29 to 63 are now confirmed dead, killed by their co-worker in a mass shooting at this rail yard Wednesday. Of the people who were injured, um, none survived. In an early morning interview, the sheriff revealed the gunman, Sam Cassidy, had two weapons with him and fired at least 39 times. He had two semi-automatic handguns and 11 magazines that had uh, ammunition in them. Cassidy also had potential bomb-making materials such as detonation cords in his work locker. We had our canines there and they did a search. Um, some of our dogs alerted on what was his locker. Inside were precursor things for explosives. Just eight miles away, the suspect's home is now also being scoured for evidence. New video from a neighbor's home camera shows a man in uniform leaving the house with a bag around 5.40 a.m. Wednesday. Less than an hour later, around 6.30 a.m., the shooting began at the rail yard. And firefighters arrived to the home in flames. It's my opinion that he had some kind of a device in his house to go off simultaneously, perhaps. But we don't know that for sure. Officials say several rounds of ammo and notes were found inside the home, but nothing yet to determine a motive. Though a history of anger issues is now becoming more clear. In documents from a 2009 legal filing, Cassidy's ex-girlfriend said he exhibited major mood swings, a result of bipolar disorder. <laughs> This is an eyewitness says Cassidy had a specific agenda for his killing spree Wednesday. He walked by other people. He let other people live as he gunned down other people. As far as the gun, uh, nobody should have a gun. Family of the dead now also speaking out. The cousin of 36-year-old light rail operator Tapti Jeep Singh says the father of two died trying to save others. One lady he put in the, in the control room to hide over here, you know. Uh, he can go there too, actually, but he, uh, he just saved her and then... A vigil is scheduled for tonight at San Jose City Hall, and of course, officials are expecting quite a bit of support. Jake? All right, Dan Simon, thank you so much. Dan Simon in San Jose. Let's bring in Charles Ramsey, the CNN law enforcement analyst and the former top cop in both Philly and D.C. Uh, Chief Ramsey, good to see you again. Uh, let's start with the, this new reporting from the Wall Street Journal that according to a memo from the Department of Homeland Security, which oversees Customs and Border Protection, this shooter had a hatred for his workplace known to officials, known to authorities, as far back in 2016. He had books about terrorism. He had a book, a memo, in which he talked about how much he hated his workplace. Um, what, what are law enforcement officials obligated to do if they get information like this? Well, I mean, it's interesting and, and also troubling at the same time, obviously. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether or not they ever notified the VTA or the sheriff's office. The article that I read uh, didn't say that specifically, but there are limits to what you can do. Again, this is five years ago. Even if they had been able to temporarily seize weapons, would they still be able to hold him um, from having any weapons? Uh, is there a national database he could be put in so he could be banned from ever buying a weapon anywhere? 
I mean, those are the kinds of things that you need to have, the kind of tools, if you really want to deal effectively with people that should not have firearms. I mean, this is a guy that clearly now we know should never have had a firearm. And family and others now are saying that he constantly went into mood swings and and expressed hatred. Did they ever notify anybody about any of that? Police ever take any action? I mean, those are legitimate questions that need to be answered. Yeah, I guess we're we're starting to uh, understand the idea of of approaching this plague in our society and the nexus of where mental health issues, uh, violent mental health issues and uh, gun ownership, where they collide, where they overlap. Uh, But I don't know that the laws are quite there yet. Uh, Even red flag laws like they have in California, the gunman's ex-wife told the AP that the gunman talked about killing people at work more than a decade ago, and as you noted, his ex-girlfriend described him as someone who had major mood swings, especially exacerbated when he consumed large quantities of alcohol. This is what was known. I guess the question is, what needs to happen for this kind of information to go to a place where it can do some good and prevent somebody from like this from being able to get a weapon of, of mass murder? Well, I mean, once it's investigated, if you have an individual like we're talking about now that just should not have a firearm. Granted, you know, you go back 10 years, you know, but he hasn't improved over that period of time. You know, a person is suffering from mental health or mental illness can obviously be treated and can improve. Apparently he did not improve. So what do you do or what can you do to keep guns out of out of his hands? And even if there were laws passed, unfortunately, because we have so many guns in our society, it is not difficult to illegally obtain a firearm. It just isn't. And so, you know, it's a complicated issue, but inaction is inexcusable. And right now, our elected leaders are gonna just do like they've done in every case before, and that is nothing, absolutely nothing. If anything, some of the state legislatures are going in the opposite direction, like Texas, for an example, where you can carry a gun, don't even need a background check. I mean, we've got to sit down and have a serious conversation. I mean, we're, we're dealing with a mass shooting today, but people are dying on streets of cities across America every single day as a result of gun violence. An eyewitness told reporters that the shooter was targeting specific individuals in yeah. the workplace, walking past and sparing the lives of others. Tell, tell me what that what that suggests to you as a former law enforcement officer. Well, I mean, he had very specific beefs and grievances. Uh, whether or not names were in that book that was found five years ago by customs, I, I have no idea. But there could have been specific, obviously specific people that he just disliked to a point where he was willing to kill him. Had the sheriff's uh, deputies not arrived as quickly as they did, we probably would be talking about a higher number of people that had been murdered by him. He just didn't get a chance to probably uh, complete what he was planning on doing. Uh, I don't know why he set fire to his house. Maybe that's to destroy evidence. But Jake, if I can, because I know time is always limited. We've got to stay focused on the problem of gun violence. We get into it whenever there's a mass shooting. But, you know, CNN, for an example, just like you keep a running total of the number of people dying from COVID every day, why not keep a running total of the number of people dying from gun violence? I mean, this pressure has to be placed on our elected officials because these guys are not going to do anything. If they didn't do anything after Sandy Hook, they're not going to do anything after this one. But one right after the other, after the other, what is it, 17 in a week's time or something? I mean, this is crazy, absolutely crazy. And unless we put pressure on them, nothing's going to happen. All right. Former police chief Charles Ramsey, thank you so much for your time, as always. Interesting idea. 
about the ticker. Coming up, it seems that they're never going to give him up. They're never going to let him down. Can the former Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, convince House Republicans to part ways with Donald Trump? Stay with us. In the politics lead tonight, we're going to see two very different sides of the modern Republican Party with former President Donald Trump, a focus of both sides on one. Congressman Matt Gates, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're going to hold another Trump-style, quote, America first, unquote, rally in Georgia. Then in California, former House Speaker Paul Ryan will obliquely criticize his party's Trump obsession in a speech at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, according to speech excerpts CNN obtained. Ryan will say, quote, if the conservative cause depends on the populist appeal of one personality or on second-rate imitations, then we're not going anywhere, unquote. Let's bring in the panel. Mary Catherine, um, will, will Paul Ryan's words have any impact on his former House Republican colleagues, you think? Look, you know, I wish they would. I wish so much. I am certainly in that wing of the party, such that it is. Uh, but look, do I think he's perhaps too much of an avatar of establishment republicanism to reach people whose minds need to be changed about this? He's exactly right about the criticism. I do, I respect what he's doing because this is a tribute to a kind of conservatism that I think, unfortunately, has been rejected by many Republican voters. Um, do I think it has a chance to reemerge in some way? Maybe with a different leader at some point. Uh, but you do have to sort of move past this. But what he's also doing, which will earn him no plaudits from the left, even though he's speaking out about this problem, is that he, he is not doing it. What you have to do is you have to respect the voters that are in the party, right? Like you're, you're not going to make the pitch to them to change their minds about Trump by treating them as if they are trash, right? And I think far too many people make that mistake. And I will quote Bill Maher here by saying, not all Trump voters are Trump. And not all people who go to protests and rallies are people who breached security at the Capitol, right? These are different folks. Right. Um, and I think that right. is important for people who want to reach people in the party to make that distinction. So he's attempting to do that while hearkening to a sort of Reaganism that I love, but I'm not sure has a prominent place at this point. That What we need in the future is probably a different figure and personality, a better personality, who would embody some of this while having respect for Trump voters. And it'll be a more populist party. It just will. Bakari, Paul Ryan um, has been on the board of, of Fox, the parent company of Fox News Channel, for two years. It's definitely long enough for him to try to at least have a say in how the network has embraced Trump and embraced the big election lie. We don't know. Maybe he has been fighting that fight. What do you think? Uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations. I mean, he, he's putting together a few words that at the end of the day don't mean a whole lot. Uh, he's not challenging those who have emboldened uh, Donald Trump uh, in the big lie or whatever else it may be. But Mary Catherine is right to a certain extent, because I do believe that there has to be new figures in the party that come out and speak out against Trump. One of the more disappointing figures, somebody who has, you know, acquiesced to the every wish of Donald Trump is uh, someone like George P. Bush. Uh, who's running for attorney general in the state of Texas, someone who was deemed to be the future of the party, but acquiesces and, and doesn't show the fortitude of someone who can stand up to Donald Trump. Instead, he does everything that Donald Trump wants him to do to get that coveted endorsement until the future of the party has as much um, courage as some of those older, uh, more establishment folks speaking out, then it doesn't matter. Paul Ryan's speech is lukewarm at best. Um, and we won't remember it by, you know, nine o'clock. 
Mary Catherine, I want to ask you about the Republican resistance in the Senate uh, to vote in favor of creating this commission to uh, investigate what happened on January 6th, the insurrection. As of right now, we only know of three Senate Republicans that are going to vote for it. Uh, Mitt Romney, uh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. Um, You say that you support the idea of a commission, but you don't think Congress would do a good job with it. Uh, why not? I mean, the, the 9-11 Commission was, I, I thought, did a good job. No? Well, it's a, it's a safe bet that Congress will not do a good job with much of anything. Just that's a to me. <laughs> um, but I'm glad to be proven wrong. Here's the other question, though. Do you think our politics, our politicians, our tribalism, um, our ability to resist uh, our own partisan urges has matured since 2001? because I think it's degraded greatly. And so this is, a, this is what a lot of people, I, I think the arguments against a commission are weak because this is such a big deal and you cannot tell me it's not a big deal and it needs to be investigated, right? I do understand people's concerns about the fairness because we live in a world where whoever's investigating and whoever's covering what comes out of the investigation will weave their own reality from the facts. And we've seen it time and time again. It's why we're in an institutional plunge uh, in confidence for media, for Congress, for basically everyone across the board. Um, and I'm afraid that this will end there, too. Bakari, don't but you've got to do the investigating. Bakari, don't you think it's important if Democrats decide that they're going to keep going with this to still try to maintain this 50-50 bipartisanship uh, that this commission that Republicans are going to kill in order to have it be credible at the end of the day? No, no. Because I am tired of walking down this path being led by Joe Manchin to this really uh, uh, false sense of bipartisanship. The American public wants us to do this. The American public, those individuals who are not sitting in the United States Senate, who are not sitting in the United States Congress, who who go out and drink at the Democratic Club and the Republican National Committee Club and all of these other things, who walk around this bubble You know, everyone else wants us to do this. This is a very popular commission. This is something that people want to be done outside of Washington, D.C. And so I don't care if it's three or 33 who are supporting this in the United States Senate. This is something that has to be done. It's amazing now the ethics that the Republican Party has when Hillary Clinton had to testify for 11 hours in what we now know uh, was nothing more than a political commission in itself. And so let's actually do some real work here. Bakari Sellers, Mary Catherine Ham, thanks to both of you. Good to see you, hopefully next time in person. How does a million dollars sound, or what about a vacation, or what about Super Bowl tickets? What it takes to convince people to get vaccinated. Stay with us. In our Healthy Today, data obtained exclusively by CNN shows that interest in getting vaccinated increased after the CDC announced two weeks ago that fully vaccinated people could take off their masks. And other vaccine incentives are also proving effective, such as Ohio's Million Dollar Lottery, which just announced its first winner. As CNN's Nick Watt reports, others are now following the lead of the Buckeye State. I still can't believe it. (laughs) It was a crazy night. I was screaming enough that my parents thought that I was crying and that something was wrong. Actually, she was Ohio's first million-dollar vaccine lottery winner, which has boosted vaccination rates in the state. Other governors, you know, saw that this was working. 
uh, you know, they reached out to us for information. California's governor will announce some similar incentives within the hour. Next week, CVS launches a sweepstake for those getting a shot. Prizes include cash, Super Bowl tickets, a European or Caribbean cruise, or a long weekend in Bermuda. New York City will send vaccine buses to the beach this holiday weekend. Go, get vaccinated, hit the beach. Real simple. Walmart now planning vaccination sites actually inside schools. And remember when the CDC dropped this great news a couple of weeks ago? Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. Within minutes, visits to vaccine.org began to rise. That day, the site's second busiest day ever. What I fear is that the interest may not be sustained. 40% of all Americans are now fully vaccinated, which means 60% are not. States are reopening. New Jersey lifts most mask mandates in the morning, just in time for the start of summer. We've always targeted Memorial Day as when we hoped we'd be able to take our strongest steps on the path back to a fully open New Jersey. And when the NFL kicks off in the fall, no more of this. They're planning on packed stands. So there was a lot of talk there about vaccinations. What about post-infection immunity? Well, one new study found that nine out of 10 people showed a still very strong immunity 10 months after infection. Jake. All right, Nick, thanks so much. Growing fallout from a report you saw first here on The Lead about entire communities being violently, violently targeted, now getting the attention of the Biden administration, but will it be enough? Stay with us. In our world lead today, President Biden saying that he is, quote, deeply concerned by the escalating violence, unquote, in Ethiopia, though that doesn't even begin to describe the horror that is unfolding in the country's Tigray region, right along the border with Eritrea, where witnesses are describing an extrajudicial campaign targeting young men who appear to be of fighting age. Others in the region have been pushed out of their home. CNN's Nima Albagar has been reporting on this conflict now for months, and she joins us. Nima, you have new video uh, of people in this region, in Tigray, desperately trying to get any possible word about their loved ones. I want to share this video with you, Jake, because it's absolutely heart-wrenching. It shows parents gathered at a UN compound in Shire in Tigray, desperately trying to find out what has happened to hundreds of young men who were taken from the displaced camps. Take a look at this. The situation in Shire is so incredibly tense that that video actually had to be filmed for us secretly and was sent at huge personal risk. Uh, it, it also speaks to the situation in general in Tigray, where just to be young and male and perceived to be fight of fighting age at the moment becomes a sentence of arbitrary arrest. We shared this video and our reporting detailing these mass detentions with Senator Chris Coons, who, as you know, was President Biden's envoy to Ethiopia. And he raised this in today's Senate foreign relations hearing, calling for accountability and the immediate release of these young men. So we'll keep you updated on that, Jane. And Nima, as witnesses describe the horror many of these families are going through as they wait to find out if their 
sons uh, are alive. They also say soldiers are taunting them. Tell us more about that. This is what is incredibly worrying. It's that witnesses say that as they were being rounded up, and this was just days after the U.S. announced its sanctions against Ethiopian and Eritrean officials implicated in the violence in Tigray, they said they were told by Ethiopian and Eritrean soldiers, let's see if the U.S. can save you now. Uh, And that is so awful for people who had felt a sense of hope once the the U.S. began to step in, Jake. All right, Nimal Bagger, thank you so much for staying on top of this important story. Breaking news this afternoon, new reporting that the San Jose shooter was previously questioned by law enforcement about his hatred of his workplace that he later shot up. What, if anything, did law enforcement do about that? That's next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN Flash Talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.